Live from beyond the Beltway, this is Eric Cohn sitting in for Bruce Dumont with our weekly analysis of national politics, featuring occasional injections of rumor and innuendo, all offered up by our panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring commentary by Republican Josh Cantro and liberal Pat Whalen. Our program tonight, coming to you from our home base, AM560, The Answer, WIND Radio, in beautiful Elk Grove Village, Illinois. Our phone lines are now open at 1-800-723-8289. That's 1-800-723-8289 to be a part of the program with us this evening. Very excited for you to be joining us. A whole lot to talk about. And to start off, I want to, uh, just like the devil did, uh, go down to Georgia. Um, and I want to talk about what happened on Tuesday, which was the Senate runoff, the Senate runoff election between uh, the incumbent Democrat, Raphael Warnock, and the uh, challenger, the uh, former Georgia football player, Herschel Walker. Uh, so this is one that split out in the November 8th general election. Neither got to 50 percent, hence prompted, prompting the runoff. Warnock came in at 49.4 percent, Walker at 48.5 percent. The final results from Tuesday's runoff, uh, Warnock wins 51.4% to Walker's 48.6. To put this in context for people, uh, there are two other races that I think it's worth looking at in the state of Georgia that were already decided back on November 8th. Kemp wins re-election, the governor, uh, Brian Kemp, wins re-election 43.4% to 459 for Stacey Abrams. Um, though I do not have the number for Secretary of State in front of me, Brad Raffensperger also uh, won quite handily. So you see another case here, just another example of a Republican Senate candidate underperforming other Republicans in that state. So Josh, I'll go to you first on this. Is this... Uh, purely just another example of candidate quality really mattering here or is there more at play i think it's uh candidate quality is a big part of it and i would say that uh you know the trump factor did not help at all the fact that uh that donald trump uh was so firmly behind herschel walker and that herschel walker did not deviate hardly at all from uh the former president's positions, um, you know, there, there was probably a little bit of uh, of the abortion issue as well being a part of it. But as you say, this is, uh, Eric, this is an ex just yet another example of a Republican Senate candidate backed by Trump underperforming other Republicans on the ticket. So you see ticket splitting. You saw it in Pennsylvania, in Arizona, in Nevada, and in New Hampshire. And uh, yeah, so I, I think candidate quality and, and Trump are the two factors. I think there's something else interesting at play here, too, because if, if the typical analysis that I have heard <clears throat> of the Republican Party these days is that you have two factions of it, right? We can break them out into the, the MAGA part of the Republican Party. And you know, I think the not all of the others are never Trump, but certainly are not Trump fans. And in a way, if the Republican Party is going to be a nationally electable party, both of those parts of that coalition need to come together. But the only one that seems willing to say that they'll sit on their hands is the one that is most disapproving of Trump. Because when you look at the Kemp numbers, when you look at the Raffensperger numbers, 
it has to be a whole lot of, you know, the MAGA base who's voting for those people. It is in the examples of the Herschel Walkers, of the uh, Carrie Lakes in Arizona, of the Blake Masters in Arizona, of uh, Mehmet Oz in Pennsylvania. It is the other side that is willing to sit out and not vote or vote for the Democrat. And does that not give them really more power in this scenario? Well, it seems that that it, it, it may. And I, I think you're... Um hypothesis is is a pretty good one and we can just go through the 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 list you you look at adam laxalt in nevada who was backed by trump but he was also a guy that was probably the highest of the candidate quality in terms of you know the ones that i listed unlike blake masters in arizona and Don Bullduck in um, New Hampshire, and Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania, and Herschel Walker in Georgia. And if you look at Laxalt, he barely lost. It was a very, very close race. So I think it's two things. It's the it's the the fact that the never Trumpers or the part are the part of the party that is not that enthusiastic about Trump. That is a factor, but it's a candidate quality issue as well. Ted Whalen, this is your first time on uh, Beyond the Beltway. Really thrilled to have you with us. Uh, are we not giving enough credit so far in this conversation to Raphael Warnock? Is uh, you know, he is he has won election now twice, and it has been in interesting circumstances. The last time, uh, of course, being when Donald Trump, after losing the 2020 election, told people in Georgia to stay home and not vote. Uh, but he has succeeded as a statewide. Democrat in Georgia, where a whole lot of statewide Democrats prior to him have failed. Is it more about him than it is about Herschel Walker? That is a tough one, but uh, one cannot say that the, the Democrats took Georgia without a significant effort. Uh, the organizing that has gone into this race, I think, has been many years in the making. And so seeing it come to fruition uh, is probably, you know, very gratifying to folks who have been knocking on doors down there and organizing for a long time. Um, but in three of the examples, I mean, we have, you know, losses from a football player, a talk show host, and no offense, a broadcaster. Um, we have uh, Warnock, who, yes, was a, a, a preacher for sure, but when it comes to, you know, an actual candidate quality discussion, um, you know, Herschel Walker's team was beating their heads against the wall in that last week of the race. It was really tough keeping this guy on message, whatever that message would be. Um, so in, in terms of who to chalk it up to, the effort from the Democrats can't be miscounted. It's been a long time coming for this win, in, in my opinion. But yeah, the, the candidate quality just wasn't there, I suppose. Um, it makes you wonder uh, if a, a candidate of quality uh, would have done a better and clinched it out in such a tight race. Yeah. Does generic Republican win this race pretty easily? And when you look at the Kemp numbers and the Raffensperger numbers, that that very well may be the case. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll point this out as well as from Dave Wasserman, that uh, a big reason Dems have been able to crack Georgia is it's now really an urban state. Metro Atlanta alone made up 59 percent of Georgia's vote on 11-8. By contrast, Dems continue to struggle in North Carolina, where the Charlotte Research Triangle metros combined for just 42 percent of the state's vote. Um, Josh, how concerning is this if it's places that are going to be, you look at Texas is, you know, we think of Texas as uh, solid red, but 
there's a lot of big cities there. And if this trend continues, that could put that state in play. Yeah, I think I, I think it's important to look at trends like that, but each state is different. In Texas, the Republican Party has done much better, made much better inroads with the uh, Latino population in Texas, uh, as they have in Florida, which has turned into a pretty solid red state. So yeah, there's the urban um, rural issue, but there's also the yeah. growing Hispanic vote. We'll, uh, we'll discuss more of that when we're back on the other side of this break. Eric Cohn filling in for Bruce Dumont tonight on Beyond the Beltway. At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. Red wine vinegar and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike's sub gets its exquisite zing and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra, an exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings, the kind of exclamation you can eat. Order Jersey Mike's subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike's sub location. Jersey Mike's, be a sub above. Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. If you talk and they will hear you. We all want our kids to grow up safe and healthy. So we show them how. And we tell them with honest conversations that let them know what we expect. Not just one time, but every chance we get. That's especially important when it comes to alcohol and other drugs. Kids not only need to know the dangers and how to avoid them, they need to hear it often from you. And when it comes to pain medications, opioids, they need to know that they should never be taken without a prescription and never shared with friends or family. It's dangerous and illegal. So talk with your kids and guide them through the challenges of growing up safe and healthy. Because when you talk, they hear you. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. So This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving.
a public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. We are back on Beyond the Beltway, and I want to pick up the Senate conversation that we were having. Uh, look at it a little more broadly. So uh, Mitch McConnell is not going to get his wish, which was going to be the uh, longest serving um, uh, Senate majority leader in that chamber's history because the uh, Republicans are not going to control the United States Senate. And what we're going through right now seems to be a bit of a blame game on the Republican side because it is undeniable at this point that Republicans dramatically underperformed expectations coming into a midterm election uh, in the first term of being the party out of power in the White House, where you're expecting them normally to pick up um, a number of seats in the House and it will always depend on the map, but the uh, the Senate is, is was certainly in play. Uh, I always make this caveat about the House part, and we'll come around to um, McCarthy in the House later, but I always think that you have to add the number of seats Republicans won in 2020 because they overperformed their expectations in 2020 to that small pickup number from 2022. Um, they crunch those together, and that looks a little bit more normal. But certainly the Senate was a disappointment for Republicans. So, Josh, I, I'll start with you, and then Pat can weigh in from this kind of uh, bemused perspective of watching Republicans try to blame each other for bad things that are going on. Uh, where does the blame go in all of this? Does you know it was McConnell who was the only one spending money at the end on Herschel Walker trying to get him elected, whereas you had not just Trump. But numerous other people, J.D. Vance did this, um, sending out these fundraising appeals where it was like 90 percent is going to go to me, but 10 percent is going to go to Herschel Walker down in Georgia. And eventually they got Trump to update it with, well, we'll split it 50-50. But basically they're skimming off the top of money that otherwise would have been raised to support Herschel Walker's candidacy. Um, so this is the blame game going around, going on now. Josh, where do you affix the blame for the Republicans' poor performance in Senate elections in 2022? 100% with Donald Trump. Uh, look, these were not McConnell's candidates. McConnell warned about poor candidate quality back in June, okay? McConnell was not supportive of any of these candidates in the primaries. He was supportive of, of candidates who probably would have won most of these races. So he was asked to then come shore up candidates that Trump had the Trump's pack had supposedly raised all this money for, but wasn't spending on them. And J.D. Vance is an example. J.D. Vance won, but it took a lot of money that was diverted to J.D. Vance, which should have been Ohio's a solid red state to help him with his five point victory in a state that I think the Republican governor won by 26 points. So, I mean, he's an example of candidate quality as well. Um, McConnell had to make decisions about where to spend money, and I think he did the best he could. So, Pat, looking from the outside here at uh, Republicans trying to figure out who is to blame for all of this, I, you know, when it comes back to me, where you look at previous election cycles and the way that uh, Senate candidates for the Republicans were chosen when it was Mitch McConnell, who was primarily the one doing it, reminded me a whole lot of 2006 when it was Rahm Emanuel, who was the one behind selecting who a lot of the candidates were going to be, particularly in House districts, that were 
people who could win those individual districts. And certainly, you know, they're not going to make the uh, the furthest to the left base of the Democratic Party happiest, but they should be happy in the in the aggregate about having a majority, which is what they got in the House after 2006. So I will just throw it open to you to um, either just laugh hysterically or to try to diagnose where from your outsider perspective, where you think the blame uh, lies in the Senate Republican performance in 2022. Well, first of all, uh, I'm originally from Buffalo, New York, and as a Bills fan, I love the idea of adding last season's wins to this season's total. I completely endorse this idea. It's fantastic. Um, I got to agree with Josh on this one. Um, I think that Donald Trump uh, threw into disarray in keeping with the football analogy. You know, if you have Rom or, you know, there's only one coach. There's only one boss. You can only have one person making these types of decisions. And in Mitch and in Rom, you have cold-blooded tacticians that are not going to put in a player because he had his feelings hurt because he didn't get enough time off the bench last game. They're going to put in people that are making the right plays and are going to bring home the W. And we just didn't see that. And I think another extension of it is this example you give of the fundraising emails, people clamoring all over each other to raise each other's money. Uh, You know, this, this is not everyone playing on the same team. This is not a unified vision. This is a fractured you know, many interest uh, issue instead of a one national party, national race. Um, you know, the, the, the local races and the local issues in these races clearly wasn't enough. There was a bigger picture at play. The argument to be made is we have to have Congress. And that wasn't enough to convince voters to, to bring home the W for, for the Republicans. And I think there's only one man you can blame for the outrageous disarray that we see Mitch McConnell's Republican Party in. I mean, Mitch McConnell, he's a guy who, who and you know, I also want to mention, we're all this candidate quality stuff that everyone keeps mentioning. We're quoting Mitch McConnell, you know, that, that was his idea. And he saw this coming months ago, which I think speaks volumes for, you know, where the, the party is at in terms of organization. So let's flip this paradigm around then, and I'll start, Pat, with asking you, <clears throat> what are your thoughts on the candidate quality selection for the Democrats? Because the other side of this uh, of these races is you look at a number of them. Raphael Warnock only barely beat uh, Herschel Walker. Um, John Fetterman, who is still recovering from a stroke, barely beat Mehmet Oz. Uh, Mandela Barnes loses to what everybody thought was going to be a very vulnerable Ron Johnson in Wisconsin, although that race was also very, very close. Um, you have uh, a, a number of races out there where, given, again, as we were talking about, stronger Republican candidates, those Democrats likely lose. Are there any concerns uh, from your perspective on the kinds of candidates perhaps being out of line with the areas of the states that they're running in that the Democratic Party is going to have as a problem going forward? Sure. Well, I think, you know, both sides can agree that when you, you know, when when your side wins, it's easy to say it's candidate quality on their side. And when your side loses, say, oh, well, it's the ground game. You know, it's the issues. It's this, that and the other thing. And the fundamentals. To, yes. Yes. Explain it away. Um, it's an excellent question. And I think, especially in the case of Fetterman, who just, I mean, defies every expectation of a candidate in any race for dog catcher, let alone Congress. Uh, I think what you see is that Democrats are trying new things. They are letting new ideas, uh, being tested. You know, they played it very careful, especially in Pennsylvania, but no one can deny you know, the marketing of these basketball shorts, you know, we can't chalk the entire race up to him. 
But I think Republicans going back to the well or not having newer ideas outside of the, you know, the, the Donald Trump charisma and messaging uh, that they had leaned on so heavily. Uh, I think Democrats had to kind of diversify their, their idea of what a candidate should be uh, depending on where they were at. I think that had a lot to do with the personalization, the customization of these races, as opposed to uh, just, you know, use a name everybody knows and throw a bunch of money behind them, which again, it was close, but these were hard fought victories in states that were not promised to, I, to, to, to the Democrats, certainly. You raise an interesting point, Pat, because I always thought that the, the, the impact of Trump was going to be this permanent break in whatever it was that was barely separating politics and entertainment. Uh, the thing totally merged in, in 2016. I always thought that that was going to hold a lot more problems in the future for Democrats than Republicans, because you mentioned the famous name, throw some money behind him. Like you can go through the Herschel Walkers, the Mehmet Oz's, the people like that. You know, eventually, once you get past Ted Nugent and Scott Bayo, you start running out of names on the Republican side that are celebrities. But you can just go down the list of people who are Hollywood famous, um, Tom Hanks, Oprah, George Clooney. Any of these people would be able to enter and run and probably win. But the question is, how good would they actually be at doing the job of being a congressman or a senator? So I always thought that that was a concern that the Democrats would have to deal with a lot more than the Republicans ever would. I think you're absolutely right. I think another factor is, would they want to? You know, I, I, could, I could imagine me saying, hey, Tom, you should, Tom Hanks, you should run for Congress and him being like, I'm good. You know what I yeah, mean? My I personal life is, is, is enough in shambles and for public consumption uh, enough as it is. Uh, but yeah, these, th this idea that using a famous name and then throwing a bunch of money behind it, look, I'm not going to say it hasn't been tried on both sides, but you know, I think everyone looks back again on the Republican side and said it has worked better for us. Uh, but without the foundation of actual legislation, you know, I think you're speaking to it, Eric, you know, campaigning is not legislating. And a lot of people, including many on the left, were not looking forward to Joe Biden trying to, uh, you know, get his congressional uh, agenda done. And many people, right up until the moment he accomplished it, said he ain't going to get it done. I was one of them. And he did. And so what did that show? It showed unification, wins races, gets legislation passed, and can make people's lives better. And at the end of the day, that's who people are going to vote for. Josh, you have uh, about a minute to do your own diagnosis of the candidate quality, the selections of the Democratic Party. Yeah, I mean, I, I, Fetterman certainly was not impressive uh, uh, after he had his stroke. But look, uh, people can say that's attributable to his stroke and he was incapacitated. He certainly looked a lot more like the average Pennsylvania voter than Oz did, um, and I think that helped him somewhat. But, uh, you know, Oz also had the factor that he was really from New Jersey and the like. I do want to add one thing about the House. Quickly. Trump's, um, the problems, Karl Rove had an excellent piece in the Wall Street Journal analyzing that the Republicans should have picked up nine more House seats, but they suffered from the same candidate quality yeah. Trump backing issue. Yep, I, that is certainly a concern that the Republican Party is going to have to figure out and perhaps the Democratic Party in uh, certain states and races as well. And we'll continue to try to figure it out after this break. Eric Cohn filling in for Bruce Dumont on Beyond the Beltway.
goodbye, bench press. Adios, squat rack. Fare thee well, kettlebell. Hey, Kellen, need a spot? No, Jake from State Farm. I'm just saying goodbye to my pricey gym membership. What? Don't give up what you love. State Farm has options like insuring your home and ride with great rates on both. Nice. Hey, can I buy you a protein shake or a granola bar? Or... For surprisingly great rates, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today. Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top-10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. When it comes to vaping, the truth can get clouded. So let's make it clear. Vaping is not safe for kids, teens, or young adults. It's just not. Because vaping can put microscopic particles into your lungs. And dangerous things like metals and volatile organic compounds into your body. And nicotine, the same highly addictive substance found in regular cigarettes. Nicotine can harm a person's brain development through their mid-20s. Affecting learning, memory, attention, and impulse control. And priming the brain for other addictions. Vaping products also come in kid-friendly flavors that can make them appealing to youth. And many kids also use other drugs, like marijuana, in vaping devices. With appealing flavors, high nicotine levels, and lots of promotion on social media. Many kids think vaping is harmless, but it's not. So talk to your kids about the risks of vaping, because when you talk, they hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, <laughs> tell me what to do. Cannonball! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. We're back on Beyond the Beltway. Eric Cohen filling in for Bruce Dumont. And we have uh, reached the regularly scheduled portion of this program where we allow our guests to introduce themselves and tell everybody a little bit about them. And we will start this evening with uh, Josh Cantrell. Eric, thanks for having me on. Um, I've been privileged to be a guest on the show many times. I am a Republican and um, a lawyer, uh, practice in the cybersecurity technology space, I write um, and do some political commentary as well, and always enjoy the discussion on this show. Thank you, Josh. And first time guest, Pat Whalen. Thrilled to be here. Thank you so much for having me, Eric. Um, Bruce, I'm not going to take it personally. 
Okay, we'll we'll, we'll talk eventually. Uh, <laughs> I, I am Pat Whalen. I am a uh, politically, ideologically speaking, I, I like to refer to myself as a high functioning cynic. Uh, I think best idea wins. You know, I'm all about uh, folks of different ideologies talking to each other. So it is really a thrill to be here with you today. Uh, and if you would be so uh, so generous, we talked a little bit about uh, what you're doing now, what you were doing previously, and the uh, the anecdote that you shared with me about your previous acting career for people who are particularly in the Chicagoland area. Um, I just, if you wouldn't mind sharing what you were doing and where people might recognize you from. Not at all. It bought me a boat. I'm just kidding. Um, huh. I, if if any Bears fans out there saw, uh, or really across the country, but who's <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll relax. Uh, there was, it was a FanDuel commercial where Jamie Harrison, formerly of the, the Steelers, uh, tackled a gentleman on his front lawn, a, a very handsome gentleman with an outrageous jawline. You will recognize that jawline on this Zoom here today on Beyond mm-hmm. the Beltway. Uh, and currently, uh, after the pandemic, obviously, audition stopped, and I, I am now a, a state senate staffer, believe it or not. So um, honestly, took the job because uh, I'd always talked about politics, but time to put my money where my mouth is. And how would you uh, how would you describe the relationship or the similarity between uh, working actually in politics in the role that you have now and um, being tackled by a former NFLer? Is there any uh, connective tissue there that you see? No, all the connective tissue was destroyed during the tackle. No, um, in actuality, uh, what what the, the biggest lesson I learned out of anything, I think if anyone uh, of your listeners who is not involved in showbiz, if you will, goes and see a movie or a TV show or a piece of content that they, they really enjoy, there's, there's, a, there's a majesty to it, right? It, it, it's, it's magic how it all gets put together. As someone who has worked on these things, I can tell you it's just people. The reverse was true for me. I thought politics was this, you know, there, there's a way of doing things, you know, there's, there's an alchemy to it, but it, it can be learned. And all anything is, is just people working together, trying their best. Um, so that's the biggest similarity yeah, I've you, found, to be honest. You, you remind me there uh, a little bit of my favorite description of Washington, D.C. that I heard from the pollster uh, Kristen Stoltis Anderson, which yeah. is that she came to D.C. hoping that it would be the West Wing. Everyone told her it would be House of Cards. It's Veep. <laughs> It's all good. Uh, let's uh, let's go to the phones. We have Joy in Spokane on line one. Joy, thank you so much for calling this evening. We appreciate it. No problem. Um, last time I was on, I got in trouble, so I'll try to I'll try to do better this time. Well, we'll be gentle um, this time. So let's, let's uh, we'll give you some space to see if you get in trouble again. Well, Jeannie was on last last time I was on, yeah. and so, um, and I'm a lifelong Democrat, liberal and stuff. So, but my question was, um, for a number of years now, I've been listening to right wing radio stations just to better understand, especially when Trump was elected, trying to figure out, you know, what what the appeal was for him and such, and you know, even if one of the hosts or their guests don't believe in the deep state. They really are very critical and um, and um, kind of they look down at someone who has been um, in the public service, public sector for a long time. You know, so Joe Biden's done nothing in his life except be um, in the public sector. He doesn't know anything. He's never done anything or other people. Um, So in addition to finding stars or someone of Dr. Oz or even Trump, 
with his um, TV fame. Is that a problem also for the Republicans that they don't see a real value in people who know the system and can go through the legislative process and things like that? Well, Josh, why don't we uh, go to you first on that since the question was mostly pointed at Republicans? Yeah, I, Joy, I, I would say this, that while I do hear some Republicans uh, talk about that, it's not a uniformly held view. In fact, there are plenty of Republicans who would push back on that basic premise about public service and the type of people that we have in it. Now, I will say this as a lawyer, though. Um, I, I do think we have too many lawyers in uh, state legislative bodies and politics generally in Congress, and we could probably use a more diverse um, background uh, professions. And uh, so so that is something that I, I just see, but I don't think that's ideological. There are probably just as many Democrat or Republican lawyers as Democrats. Hey, Josh, you remind me of a uh, an old but a favorite uh, Dennis Miller joke of mine that you know the old lawyer joke that what do you call 100 lawyers at the bottom of the ocean? A good start. Um, but actually, Dennis Miller's point was that like, no, that's exactly the opposite, because before you know it, every fish and crustacean is going to be talked into a class action lawsuit naming Mrs. Paul's and the Gordon's fishermen. So I, 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 can, I can sympathize with the point that maybe we have a few too many lawyers running around. But, uh, you know, I'd be careful in what we say we want to we want to do with that. Um, Pat, I'll point the question at you, but I would also for Joy and, and, and for Pat as well, point out that the there, there certainly is a political celebrity that is being born that you have people and the democratic party as well like alexandria ocasio cortez and other members of the squad who as i observe things don't seem to be all that interested in how legislation actually works they do similar things to with left-wing media that um marjorie taylor greens do on right-wing media which is they know that they can go on they can do their you know 30 second or a few minute hit they're going to raise a whole bunch of money based on all of that it's less about the legislative process and more about this entertainment problem that we were talking about earlier. I, I mean, I absolutely understand where you're coming from, but I got to tell you, all the, all the performative, you know, gestures and interviews in the world uh, don't mean squat when you're standing in front of your constituent and they're saying, why isn't that pothole filled? You know what I mean? At the end of the day, you need people who are able to get things done. And as I just got finished explaining, all anything is is people. Um, I think, uh, Josh, good on you for saying there's too many. I've never heard a lawyer say there's too many lawyers. Um, but I think that, uh, you know, a familiarity with legislative language, like uh, the specificity of language that is accompanied with law is a skill that is good to have when you're trying to write and pass legislation. But, you know, it's not the only skill that you need uh, to be an effective legislator and to actually get things done. So in terms of uh, the, the, the celebrity aspect, you know, winning races, I think we just saw from Herschel Walker, that doesn't really work. Um, you know, DeSantis is one I would, I would point to, you know, he's a fairly effective bureaucrat. He is able to get legislation passed sometimes for performative measures, one could argue, and is also trying to be this kind of celebrity figure uh, and be bombastic. Uh, I don't really see it being as effective as, uh, as Donald Trump is at the end of the day. But from where I'm sitting, being a good legislator and making your constituents lives better is all that matters when they're in the booth. So I'll confess that this is a bit of a Josh, why don't you go and then I'll jump on my hobby horse. Yeah, I, I was just going to say that um, 
we have been kind of bashing celebrities a little bit. And I, I would point out that the greatest president of my lifetime and one of the all-time great Republican presidents and presidents generally was the celebrity before he became president. But, you know, he also ran the second largest at the time state in the country for eight years. I'm, of course, referring to Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan was uh, someone who, whether you like it or not, I happen to like most of what he got done. He got a lot done and he changed the Republican Party. And so that is an example of a celebrity that went in there and got it done. He was also a president of a union prior to uh, being elected governor of uh, California. And so did have I I always want to point out that there's some differences in kind of the celebrity jumping right in and the period of time that Ronald Reagan had where he really learned um, the issues. He was a spokesman for GE. He did these tours for them. He talked, uh, did radio commentary. He read a lot. He wrote a lot. Um, so there is a, a different break there. I, I, I will jump on my hobby horse very quickly, which is I, I like what Pat was talking about in the legislative process, but the legislative process really doesn't work right now. So much of what is decided is decided in leadership offices the night before a government shutdown. We don't have, there's no regular order in Congress. You can't really offer amendments. Nothing comes to the floor unless the speaker knows that the vast majority of their own party is already in support of it. So you're not going to have any conflict. Um, we're winding down time on on this segment of the program, but I, I'll just throw out there that I that is a question that I'd be interested in people's perspective on how you fix, how you fix the incentives that exist in Congress to get it working more like uh, it's supposed to. If anybody wants to jump on that for 40 seconds, go ahead. Pat. Uh, it's a pretty short 40 seconds, but it's one word, it's transparency. Uh, this what can often be referred to as palace intrigue, and, you know, inside baseball and inner workings and, you know, uh, these, this granular process where small details matter. Personality management is part of the job. And just like Ronald Reagan was a good speaker and he brought that skill set to become elected as governor of one of the largest states in the country, the largest state in the country, one of the largest states in the country, uh, then got him that job. And I think he picked up a lot of skills from that job. And so yeah. it's really, what do you, what do you, uh, would we, uh, we, we got to head to a break, but when we come back, Pat, I do want to, I, I want to challenge you a little bit on that point of transparency, because I think there's something interesting underlying there that may also be part of the problem. We'll explore that when we are back on the other side of this break. Eric Cohn filling in for Bruce this week on Beyond the Beltway. Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. Red wine vinegar and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike sub gets its exquisite zing and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra, an exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings. The kind of exclamation you can eat. Order Jersey Mike's subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike sub location. 
Jersey Mike's, be a sub above. One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has pre-diabetes, with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has pre-diabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Matthew. Huh? Oh, sorry. It's okay. I just need you to listen to me. I know that a lot of times, Mom, it might not seem like I'm listening to you, but I am. I hear you. And what you say really does matter to me. I mean, let's be honest. No kid likes rules, but I get why we have them. I hear you, and I know it's because you care. All the talks we've had over the years, including what you've told me about not using alcohol and other drugs, they stick with me. And believe it or not, they really do make a difference, especially at times that matter most. Hey, want a drink? No thanks, I'm good. So thank you, Dad, for talking and preparing me for what's ahead. Thanks, Mom, for never giving up and always being my biggest fan. Thank you for letting me know what you expect so I can try to meet your expectations. Thank you for talking. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. We are back on Beyond the Beltway, and as I said, I want to challenge uh, what Pat was saying about transparency there just before we went to the break. My question is, have we gone too far with transparency? Uh, I interviewed a member of Congress for a podcast that I do, and this uh, member of Congress made the point that the committee they are on that they enjoy the most was a House Select Intelligence Committee because it meets in a bunker underneath the Capitol. There are no cameras in there. There are no recording devices. They can have conversations. They can admit when they don't know something. It is, as he described it, one of the more functional committees in, if not one of the only few functional committees in all of Congress. Anybody who's watched reality television knows that when you put cameras on people, they act differently. And I don't see why members of Congress are in any way removed from that. So while the mission of C-SPAN was certainly noble, uh, it certainly also changed the way that members of Congress act over time in a way that if you've watched any of these hearings where I think it was Bill Barr who was in front of a, a Senate committee where they all went down the line and they all asked the exact same question so that they had a clip for their donor emails. Um, it, this is a problem I think created by transparency or tell me I'm wrong. You're wrong. No, I'm just mm -hmm. kidding. Um, I think, I think you're, I think you're absolutely right. I, I, I look at it like this. Uh, Joe Biden could not have had an open dialogue on you know, Twitter spaces with Joe Manchin to negotiate the infrastructure deal, right? They needed to keep that quiet. They had to be stealthy to get it done. I'm sure a lot of care went into that. 
But in the same way, you know, with C-SPAN, I think just as television, there's, there's Congress before television, there's Congress after television. And in terms of transparency, I don't think that, you know, bringing in the light, if you will, is going to improve the process in every case per se. But I am saying it is inevitable. The internet is here. And just as there was pre and post television Congress, there is pre and post internet Congress. And people who are in these negotiations, if they think it's better to go directly to the constituents and say, this person's holding it up for this reason and blow up a negotiation, they have that option. It's probably not the smartest option, but they have it. And if it saves them at home, they might take it. And the, the other point I'll make is that, you know, what, 50 years ago, we wouldn't have known that each member of Congress was going down the line and asking the same question for a donor email. But now we do, and it's common knowledge. And that's what I mean. It's changing the game. Josh, uh, I'll throw the question to you. Do you think uh, it, look, transparency, I think we all agree, in some senses is, is good. Uh, there's different senses of it, though. We can have transparency of process. We can have transparency of the end result. Um, have we gone too far in this particular case with Congress with the cause of transparency? Josh, can you hear us? I think we may have lost Josh. And I will not try to approximate what he would have to say about all of this, although I'm fairly certain that he would have agreed entirely with me and uh, the wisdom that I had on offer here. So, Pat, I will, uh, uh, while we figure out what has happened with uh, Josh, I will come back to you. Um, I was going to say this for the second hour, but since uh, while we're figuring out what's going on with Josh, we may have lost him and he may be coming back. Um, I will ask you about uh, the other Senate issue that we should discuss in this hour, talking largely about the Senate. Um, Kristen Sinema has left the Democratic Party. She is going to register as an independent in Arizona. Um, is she, I mean, to me, she's the most interesting person in American politics um, because she is shown a way, a willingness to buck her own party. Um, she's now registering as an independent because of it. Um, she's still probably going to caucus with the Democrats. Um, but she, especially considering what brought her into politics, that she was a Code Pink activist, it's just an incredibly fascinating story. And as we were talking about interest in politicians and their backgrounds, she's an incredibly interesting one, as frustrating as it may be to the Democrats sometimes. Yeah, I, I agree that, and I'm sorry I had a Zoom issue, but uh, I agree that uh, Kirsten Cinema is the most interesting member of Congress right now. What she did... Uh, who knows why she did it, but she has been acting as an independent really since she got in Congress. And she's continuing that tradition that uh, John McCain did when he was kind of a maverick Republican. And it'll be interesting to see how the voters respond to that. But I think that we would do a lot better if we had more true independents and more moderates um, back in the Senate on both sides, quite frankly. Pat, what's your uh, your take on Cinema's decision to officially leave the Democratic Party and register as an independent? Well, I can't say I'm super surprised, but I will disagree with you gentlemen on one point, which is to me, Kristen Cinema is uh, the most boring person in politics because we all know she's going to do exactly what she needs to do to survive, which is the first rule of politics, depending on who you ask. Um, you know, to look people in the face and say, this is not a political decision when we all know it's 100% a political decision to save herself in her district, which again, you know, it's Arizona, John McCain, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, to act like it's not true, to me, uh, what is it, it's lying. That's the word, it's lying. And so she's basically saying whatever it takes 
to survive, which, you know, I, I'm not going to go into the morals of that, but it's just very predictable in my sense. When I saw the morning that she had uh, left the Democratic Party, I retweeted the news article about it and said a few simple words on the retweet, don't feed the trolls. This woman is just, you know, I, I'm, I'm glad I don't live in Arizona. If I could well, just I, push back. I'm yeah, sorry. go ahead. No, I, I was just going to push back uh, on Pat, though. I mean, Mark Kelly just got reelected as a Democrat. Kirsten Sinema could have stayed a Democrat, and she would have probably been fine in 2024. I mean, so I, I don't know. I, I, I do take her at face value when she says this wasn't about politics. She's now put a, the proper label on what she really has been all along, which is an independent. I, you know, I think that both can be true. I definitely, definitely think that this is a political decision. This is her going to the Republicans and saying, do not run anyone against me and I will leave the Democratic Party and keep them on pins and needles about my votes in Washington. Uh, that's how I think this is going to play out for 2024. But I think you're absolutely right. Um, unfortunately, most people think Angus King is, you know, a strain of uh, a chain of steak restaurants. Um, <laughs> I, I, I do think that uh, independence should have more of a place in Congress. So I, you know, I, there's there's a lot of context to that. Apologies for the connection problems that we've had, as I know we are coming up on the break for uh, this hour. We'll get all that sorted out and much more to be discussed in the second hour this evening on Beyond the Beltway. Eric Cohn filling in for Bruce Dumont. Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. Oh, goodbye, bench press. Adios, squat rack. Fare thee well, kettlebell. Hey, Kellen, need a spot? No, Jake from State Farm. I'm just saying goodbye to my pricey gym membership. What? Don't give up what you love. State Farm has options like insuring your home and ride with great rates on both. Nice. Hey, can I buy you a protein shake or a granola bar? Or... For surprisingly great rates, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today. At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. Red wine vinegar and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike sub gets its exquisite zing and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra, an exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings, the kind of exclamation you can eat. Order Jersey Mike subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike sub location. Jersey Mike's, be a sub above. Hi, I'm Dr. Nia Hergaris with today's tip for kids from the American Academy of Pediatrics. As parents, we want our children to grow up healthy and strong. That means helping teens take responsibility for their health as they become young adults. One way to do that is to make sure they have one-on-one -on -one time with their pediatrician. That helps them become comfortable talking about any health issue with their doctors and with you. So make sure to give your teen a voice. It's good for their health. For more on teen health, visit HealthyChildren.org. It's a bully. 
But we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. We are back for hour number two of Beyond the Beltway. Eric Cohn filling in this week for Bruce Dumont. And I want to turn our attention now to uh, some foreign policy matters. Uh, one in particular, which was the news that broke this week of the uh, prisoner swap that happened between the United States and Russia, where uh, WNBA player Brittany Greener, Griner, Griner, I believe it is, um, is traded back to the United States. And in exchange, the prisoner that is sent over to Russia is uh, Victor Bout, who is uh, known, and this is you know one of those nicknames that you you kind of know immediately what this person does uh the lord of war uh which if you remember the nicholas cage movie by the same title loosely based on the story of uh, victor bout um so this is this is a complicated issue i think so i'm i'm curious what uh, both josh and pat have to say about it i'll start with josh of this you know you have this trade that happens this rather you know high profile uh individual Victor Bout, Lord of War, being sent over there. And you know, on one hand, it's for somebody who uh, is you know, a WNBA star, who's an athlete, uh, represented the United States in Olympic play. Um, you know, certainly uh, there's a difference between the, the kind of prisoners these two people were. But it's also abundantly clear that Brittany Reiner was a political prisoner being held by Russia. So what do you make of this trade that the Biden administration executed this week? Yeah, I mean, it's a tough call, and I, I don't want to do too much second-guessing because there's a lot of information that is not public, but it doesn't seem like a fair trade, uh, given the fact that you had Brittany Griner, who was basically, that would have been a misdemeanor drug offense in the United States um, for, uh, for this uh, international arms dealer, and I would have liked to have seen us also get uh, Paul Whelan out, who's been in Russian prison for four years now. And I think he's a former U.S. Marine who is definitely being unjustly held. Having said that, I am thrilled for Ms. Greiner and for her family that she's out of there and that she's home and that she's free. And I would hope that she would use her very considerable platform now to be the number one advocate for getting Paul Whelan out of Russia. Uh, 
Pat Whalen, no, uh, as far as I know, relation to Paul Whalen, the <clears throat> former Marine who is uh, imprisoned in Russia. Uh, Pat, what do you make of this trade as well? I mean, I think it, it, Josh has some good points. So there's, there is plenty about this, of course, that we don't know. Uh, and probably we're not going to know anytime soon if we if we know it at all in terms of what was going on here. But, you know, I, I, I find it, you know, I, the people who immediately react to this and say, you know, like this is just some WNBA player. Um, you know, she broke the laws in, the, in, in Russia. She should be held accountable for doing so. I just find to be such a strange reaction when it is just so transparently obvious that she was being held for political reasons. Yeah, yes, did she break the law in Russia? She did. The reason that this was dealt with and the way that the Russians dealt with it is because the United States is helping to arm and support uh, Ukraine in the war that Russia is engaged with in Ukraine. There are icy relations between uh, Moscow and Washington. All of that uh, makes sense to me. So what do you make of this trade? <clears throat> uh, yeah, definitely a lot of play. And obviously, we don't have the whole picture. But these people that you're talking about who have such strong opinions uh, were immunologists last week. So I don't think we should get uh, too caught up in, in the opinions of the masses are something. I can't remember. Hey, there were also, also Supreme Court cases being argued last week, and a whole lot of them were also lawyers, with apologies to Josh, who was, all, who was actually a lawyer. And as you said, we don't need more of them. So certainly we need fewer of ones who aren't actually lawyers, but to pretend to be on Twitter occasionally. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. If anyone's looking for opinions, Twitter is full of them. You should check it out. Oh, we'll come uh, to Twitter uh, before we're done this evening. Okay. Um, I, I think, uh, you know, there's definitely a bunch of different ways to look at it. Look, it, Americans need to know that if you are held, regardless of what the reason, by a foreign hostile government, the government that you pay tax money for is going to come and uh, get you or at least negotiate to try to get you out. Uh, clearly, I agree, Eric, her, her sentence alone uh, was enough to show that they were tr clearly trying to make a, you know, a... A show of this, a, a political show, um, a very, you know, transparent. I'm not sure if either of you have seen uh, Victor's interviews since he got back to Russia, but you know, the the rhetoric flows about what Russia's Russia's government wants Russians to think about what America is and how we operate and how we feel, specifically about black people and queer black women, to be even more specific about that. Um, but at the end of the day, we had to negotiate for her release because that's what we do. You could make the argument we don't make, uh, you know, negotiate with terrorists, and I, I don't know how else to label of Vladimir Putin. But uh, in terms of it being a good trade or not, is kind of a confusing argument for me, especially when I stick to my guns on whether or not the government should advocate for your release. Um, two points about that: one, if Victor steps out of Russia, he's probably going to be, you know, a soot mark. Uh, so I, I don't think the intelligence community is going to let him out of their sights anytime soon. And I don't think Vladimir Putin's going to do that either. Um, but also, I think that uh, the hollowing out under the Trump administration of our State Department, specifically intelligence and ambassadorial uh, capacities, is definitely a big part of this. I know I've, I've heard and read that the Justice Department was not thrilled with, uh, or folks within the Justice Department, I should say, were not thrilled with, the, with this trade. But if state's okay with it, do you trust institutions in this country or not? You know what I mean? I, I think the State Department made the right call, and I'm sure they have their reasons for negotiating for Britney's release. Well, I, I think the the answer to the question you asked is, do we trust institutions in this country or not? The answer is no, we don't. And yeah. the the problem, uh, 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 Josh, you weigh in on this as well, is 
you know, I, who has two thumbs and uh, like is in favor of trustworthy institutions? This guy. Um, however, the problem is that so often a lot of these institutions have done things or acted in ways that break with the, break the public's trust that they have in them. I think the one of the most damaging things that happened during the pandemic was when you had all kinds of um, public health officials saying that um, you know you can't gather with more than 12 people for Thanksgiving, but it is totally fine for hundreds of people to go protest in the streets. I mean, that right. is just the kind of thing that drives people insane and makes them not trust institutions that they're supposed to trust. Josh? That, that is exactly right. And I was going to bring up that, that example as well. I mean, you can't go to a, f a funeral of a loved one, but it's fine to just go out and protest with hundreds or, or thousands of people, you know, in, in mass. And um, also the way the schools were handled, keeping uh, children locked up, locked down, out of the classroom, learning on Zoom. There wasn't a whole lot of learning going on. And I had two kids in school during COVID. So, I mean, look, the, the institutions have earned their distrust. I want to trust institutions. I very much do. But when you see COVID, when you see the collusion hoax that uh, dogged the President Trump for the first two years of his administration, I mean, there are reasons that people, good reasons that some people don't trust institutions. Uh, some institutions are less trusted because they're less trustworthy, but people can also take that too far. We'll continue to explore uh, those cases when we are back after this break on Beyond the Beltway. Bye, bench press. Adios, squat rack. Fare thee well, kettlebell. Hey, Kellen, need a spot? No, Jake from State Farm. I'm just saying goodbye to my pricey gym membership. What? Don't give up what you love. State Farm has options like insuring your home and ride with great rates on both. Nice. Hey, can I buy you a protein shake or a granola bar? Or... For surprisingly great rates, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today. Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. If you talk and they will hear you. We all want our kids to grow up safe and healthy. So we show them how. And we tell them with honest conversations that let them know what we expect. Not just one time, but every chance we get. That's especially important when it comes to alcohol and other drugs. Kids not only need to know the dangers and how to avoid them, they need to hear it often from you. And when it comes to pain medications, opioids, they need to know that they should never be taken without a prescription and never shared with friends or family. It's dangerous and illegal. So talk with your kids and guide them through the challenges of growing up safe and healthy. Because when you talk, 
They hear you. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. So talk, hey, you can do it if you try. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. We're back on Beyond the Beltway. Eric Cohn filling in this week for Bruce Dumont. And uh, we had a call. Uh, the caller had dropped before we were able to take his call. But the question that he had about uh, the Brittany Griner trade was, uh, what did Griner do upon her return? Did she thank the U.S. people? So uh, in the break, I looked that up and her family released a statement uh, upon her being returned. It's a short one, so I will give it to you here. Quote, we would like to extend our sincere gratitude to President Biden and his administration for the tireless work they did to bring Brittany home. We would like to extend a special thank you to Governor Richardson and Mickey Bergman of the Richardson Center for their work as well as remaining uh, in constant communication with us. We sincerely thank you for all the kind words, thoughts, and prayers, including Paul and the Whalen family, who have been generous with their support for Brittany and our family during what we know is a heartbreaking time. We pray for Paul and all wrongfully detained Americans' swift and safe return, and then asking for privacy as they embark on a road to healing here. So I think fairly... Uh, good statement. And there's nothing that I can object to in all of that. Um, you know, we'll certainly see what she has to say when um, she has uh, her first big interview, which I think we all know is coming. But we were also talking uh, in that segment about trust in institutions. And uh, Brian in Albuquerque, uh, who is on line two, uh, has a question about that. So, Brian, go ahead. Yeah, good evening. Um, I want to point out that the uh, Catholic Church has had some major problems lately, and our financial institutions, 2008, the banking collapsed, mm -hmm. and now we had to step in and save the financial sector. I'd say those are two huge institutions that have shown themselves to be extremely flawed. And two more flawed institutions are both of our major parties. You know, most Americans are independents now. The minority are, are proudly join either party. And I would love to see this duopoly and the stranglehold that both parties have over our election system broken up. I think we need multiple parties. Uh, like the immigration is issue, for instance, we can't get it solved because Republicans want cheap labor and their donors think they're entitled to have unlimited supply of cheap labor. And then the Democratic Party, they just want to play racial identity politics and they're not going to stop it. So most average working class people that I know are sick of both parties. 
So uh, I don't know. I just like to hear you comment on that. And then you think that that coheres with where the Republicans actually are on that issue, because by and large, uh, the to me, as I observe the Republican Party, it has gotten far more hawkish on immigration in that there is uh, a lot of space that has been created for uh, certain people who advocate that not only do we need to do something <clears throat> to stop the uh, influx of illegal immigration into this country, but that we should, at least for the time being, if not for the foreseeable future, reduce legal immigration down to next to zero. Well, the thing that always I point out when I get on talk radio or other media is that the Republicans never focus on all the American employers that exploit illegal immigrants. Yes, we don't talk about those people. You know, wealthy people are making millions and millions of dollars off of illegal immigrants, and they shove all the costs onto the taxpayer. And in the same time, they help hold down wages for average working Americans. So it's, it's a it's a crock. It's a ripoff, and it needs to be stopped. But, you know, wealthy people are getting rich, and Democrats want to play identity politics. And, uh, you know, that's where I stand on that issue. I... I lost my train of thought, but well, Republicans Brian, we, uh, have shown themselves. Thank you very much. We appreciate the, uh, the right, call this evening. I, I think Brian brings up two things there that I'd like to explore. One of them, so we, we are seeing right now negotiations on a possible deal on immigration. Um, I'll, I'll go to both of you and just ask, we've seen these kinds of efforts at <clears throat> something called comprehensive immigration reform before, haven't we? Is there, in your mind, any chance that we're going to see something that addresses immigration actually pass in Congress, Pat? Well, that's a tough one. Um, but I think that to be able to actually process uh, the amount of people we have waiting in line to become citizens in this country by ways uh, that we have already established is going to take significant investment monetarily, uh, personnel, uh, institutional intelligence, uh, actually getting these ideas done is uh, the rubber meeting the road, and, and that's what really counts. Uh, so can you convince the American taxpayer uh, that an, an increase in cost is going to be funding this? Uh, can you convince more than 50% of the country to go along with that? I realize the representatives are the ones making the vote, but we've talked many times in many different ways about how people have to go back to their districts and convince people that they're making progress on these issues. So, you know, Nancy Pelosi says first rule of politics is you got to count. Uh, do we have the votes? Clearly, it's not a partisan lines issue. So uh, I'm not super comfortable making that prediction. I will say President Biden has surprised me uh, with his legislative prowess uh, within the last year. So I'm not going to count anything out. See, I, as I look back at the history of these attempts at deals, <clears throat> it has always been the base of the Republican Party to me that is the one who is most vociferously against it, in part because they think they're getting a bait and switch here, that the um, previous attempts <clears throat> at immigration reform, the promise that is made is always that, um, you know, we'll, we'll uh, legalize the number of people who are uh, currently in the country in exchange for um, better enforcement on the border. And what they see is the legalization happens and they never actually see the effective enforcement on the border. Um, so in a way, while I am 
far more dovish on immigration than the average uh, Republican base voter is. I understand where they're coming from, from that perspective, that they always think that the enforcement part of it that they're asking for is the thing that gets left behind and never actually actualized. Eric, you're exactly right. I mean, that is that it's been not only the perception, but it's been the reality It was the reality, quite frankly, when Reagan did it back almost 40, 35 years ago. So I, I, I haven't been following these negotiations close enough to be able to handicap what's going to happen. But based, based on where the Republican base is, and this is not Trump, this is versus anti-Trump. This is really the Republican almost united base. It's not the Wall Street Journal editorial page, which Brian was referring to in terms of their position, but most of the Republican Party and the base does not want to see um, want to see this happen unless there is just progress first made on the enforcement side and they see progress being made on enforcement enforcing the border, then perhaps. Well, I think this is also where we get into the question about the problems with our political parties, right? The um, I, I'm sympathetic to the argument that uh, Brian made there about wanting to have more political parties and all that. The problem is, like, how do we actually get there? The problem is, is that neither of the two political parties that are currently the ones holding the vast majority of the power and splitting it between them they certainly don't want to open up the process to have uh, third parties be more competitive. And <clears throat> if I may remind you, the last attempt at uh, a major attempt by a third party uh, to make an impact on this uh, was the Libertarian Party. And if anybody follows the Libertarian Party closely, I'm very, very sorry for the drinking problem you've probably developed <laughs> from following the Libertarian Party very closely. But they are in absolute disarray because they don't really understand they can't decide what a political party is actually supposed to be for, if it is supposed to get people elected or if it is supposed to be uh, an educational vehicle for a ideas system, an ideology, a belief system. Um, so do you agree, uh, Pat, with this assessment that um, a, a duopoly, the two party structure is a part of the problem or is uh, there's more to it than that? <laughs> Sadly, both. Uh, you know, it, politics is also organizing. Uh, it is organizing ideologies. It is organizing people to vote. Uh, and being able to uh, accomplish tasks means you have to be sent back. But where is the line? I mean, in terms of what Brian just mentioned in his call, you have Republicans telling their base that, yes, we need more enforcement at the border, but refusing uh, to give up the cheap labor that illegal immigration brings and or explain how they intend to man this border, building a wall. How much did this cost? Who is going to patrol it? Who is going to train those people? Where will illegal immigrants be detained? These actual granule details are not addressed ever, but consistently the choir sings, our needs are not being met. Uh, they're not being met because people aren't actually trying to meet them. There isn't some ideological divide that prevents us from being able to keep our borders safe. I think that's something we can all agree on. Uh, but, you know, there is definitely more to it than that, to, to answer your question, Eric. It, it, it's, it's, not just, it's not just keeping the border safe. It's keeping the border secure. It's keeping the border so that people come here who are allowed to come here. And we know who's coming in and we know who's not coming in. So there's got to be an orderly 
there's got to be a border. Every country is entitled to a border and to admit those people that that it wants to come across that border in an orderly way. Now, I, I mean, ha having said that, when you get down to the nuts and bolts of it, I think Pat has a fair point in, in, in that part of it. But we have to have a border. And there's just two, there's a perception among the Republicans and many independents, quite frankly, that the Democrats don't really care about having a border and a border enforced. And I think that's a big part of the problem. That's absolutely true. Quickly. But Josh, I would say, you know, the, the call wasn't uh, build the processing center. The call was build the wall. <laughs> Walls don't let people in. They keep them out. Yeah, I think there's I want to explore a little bit more of this on the other side of the break, because I think there's a changing dynamic in the Republican Party that uh, does not line up as much with what uh, Pat is saying about uh, part of the objectives, maybe from higher ups in the Republican Party or others. So we'll explore that when we're back after this. Eric Cohn filling in this week on Beyond the Beltway for Bruce Dumont. At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. Red wine, vinegar, and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike's sub gets its exquisite zing and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra, an exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings, the kind of exclamation you can eat. Order Jersey Mike's subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike's sub location. Jersey Mike's, be a sub above. The possibility of lung cancer can be pretty scary, especially if you're one of approximately 8 million current or former smokers at high risk. That's why SaveByTheScan.org wants you to know that now there's a breakthrough low-dose CT scan that can detect lung cancer early, and it only takes 60 seconds. You stop smoking, now start screening. For an easy quiz to see if you're eligible, visit SaveByTheScan.org. It could save your life. SaveByTheScan.org is brought to you by the American Lung Association's Lung Force Initiative and the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. I'll be here to hear what's on your mind. Kids want to share what's going on in their lives with the adults around them. Parents, grandparents, teachers, coaches, and more. They want to know you're listening. And they want to listen to you. They want your input and guidance early and often on all kinds of topics. 
When it comes to a serious subject like underage drinking, they want to know your expectations, as well as how and why, as a young person, they should avoid alcohol. How you talk about it will change as your child grows, but the important thing is to talk about it, not just once for an hour when you think the time is right, but in 60 one-minute conversations and more that are part of your everyday talks. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. We're back on Beyond the Beltway. I want to explore what we were getting into there about、uh, im- immigration just a little bit more because this is a case where I think the changing dynamics of the Republican Party are impacting this、uh, in in a different way. So I've heard a couple of times this idea that the higher ups of、uh, the Republican Party or、uh, corporations, the people who run corporations, want the cheap labor of、uh, illegal immigrants, and that is one of the reasons why they're obstructionist about not wanting to get any kind of a deal done. I I don't know how well that represents the actual current composition and the interests of the Republican Party. I think the Republican Party is,、uh, at least from the base up, is pretty intransigent on the issue of、uh, immigration. Certainly on what we do to deal with illegal immigration. I, I think they're also less inclined to care all that much about what corporations want. They're less defensive of big business than they used to be. I think you're starting to see that being reflected in the character of people who are occupying,、uh, re- who are Republican occupiers of seats in in Congress as well. So <clears throat> I wonder how long that that narrative actually we can say that it holds true that、um, they're you know, doing the work of、uh, large corporations who we should acknowledge do split、uh, money that they give between both parties. But、uh, it has been declining in the amount that they've certainly over the last six years, given the craziness in the Republican Party.、Uh, corporate contributions have been、uh, have been on the decline. So I don't know how well that holds up. Pat, do you still think that that's really the case? That the Republican Party is just doing、uh, the bidding of corporate interests that want cheap illegal immigrant labor? No,、uh, I don't. Corporations aren't the ones who would hire an illegal immigrant. Smaller businesses would do that.、Uh, you know, there are generic uh, uh, small businesses that、uh, come to mind, specifically landscaping, especially for people who live in Texas.、Um, but the idea that these people are, you know, working at IBM and, and things of that nature, or Home Depot or Lowe's, you know, I, that's simply not the case. So, large corporate donations being tied to intransigence on immigration reform, I think, no go for me either. Um, I do wonder often、uh, what state level initiatives, places like Texas and even Florida to a degree,、uh, are, are taking、uh, that the that they don't need federal assistance for、uh, things at the state level that they're able to protect、uh, and secure their their own border.、Um, but you know, I, I, I this this has been a topic for decades, as as we've said.、Uh, so you know, one one really must wonder. But yeah, the, the the corporate specter I think is is not not accurate. Joshua, what is your take then on the makeup of、uh, of the Republican Party and its orientation towards the question of of, of immigration now? I mean, is it are the、uh, they're no longer、uh, 
uh, being accused of being at the behest of uh, major corporate interests, and now it's big landscaping or small landscaping that is the one uh, <laughs> that's really uh, driving the train here? Well, I, I I don't know if big or small landscaping is. I mean, I, I do think that Pat is correct that those businesses do want the cheap labor, and they're probably happy to continue along with a broken system like we have. But the base of the Republican Party on up, as you described, Eric, I mean, is that they they do not want a de- they don't want any part of a deal that doesn't guarantee much better border security than we have now. And that's just the bottom line. And so I, I see it as being again, I don't know a lot about the negotiations going on right now, but I just don't see much happening there at all in light of that dynamic. Is this just a case where this is one of those issues? This has been historically true, I think. I'm curious if you think it's still true now. The problem in getting this issue addressed in any way, and I think people on both the left and the right would agree with different reasons that it is an issue that needs to be addressed, is that it is more beneficial to each side, at least the, um, you know, go go back to the, uh, maybe the high-functioning cynic take of all of this, and it is more beneficial uh, to have this as an issue than it is to actually do something to actually try to solve it. Bingo. Uh, the, the specter of someone coming to take your job is an effective motivator uh, in election season, uh, as is what uh, the caller referred to as uh, identity politics and the idea of race. Um, these are both fear. I, I would say that they can both be boiled down to fear, and fear is, is one of the most effective motivators in human history. Um, but, you know, again, I, I just want to say it's going to be very expensive to fix this problem, and I think no one wants to raise their hand and say, I'll pay for it. Let's raise taxes. Let's, let's cut this. Let's do that. Negotiations are hard enough with budgets, and, you know, the significant, significant, perhaps the biggest investment this country's ever seen would be to secure the border and in whatever way we could all find consensus on. Yeah, I I would just respond. I I agree with uh, some of what Pat said, but I would respond that it's also very expensive not to fix the problem. The current system with, you know, millions flooding into this country and then they have to be processed and they have to be housed and fed and and healthcare and all of this, all of the costs that are going into that and the opportunity costs of not having a functional immigration system where you could actually have where we need immigrants in a lot of industries and they're not getting them because the system is so broken. But I do agree with Pat's point, which is cynical, but I think unfortunately true that it benefits in some ways the um, the more extreme elements on both sides, the identity politics folks on the left and the um, and and the extreme right who just doesn't want to see any immigration and wants to use scare mongering tactics and fear. Um, and that's just the reality. I want to say, uh, you know, I, I don't disagree, Josh, that it is expensive not to deal with it. You know, my, my point is rather that a meaningful alternative has not been presented by the people who want one so badly. Uh, the border wall, the pieces that were built, uh, you know, for every 10-foot wall, there's an 11-foot ladder. You know what I mean? That's as the old saying goes. Clearly, we're not going to get out of this 
by simply closing off the border. And I think you'd agree with that as well. The idea of processing and having personnel to man the border and be able to process these people and keep people out who shouldn't be here and bring people in who should, um, that's another matter. Another matter on top of that is I a thousand times agree with Josh's point that we need immigrants. Um, but, you know, th this leads to a question of education and, and how well our education system is preparing people to take on the jobs of the future. It's, it's, it's something that is connected to every piece of our functioning society. And um, I'm glad to have a couple other high-functioning cynics along for the ride with me. Yeah, I, I would just add one, ahead, one point very quickly, and that I agree, again, with, with a lot of what Pat said, but there is – you can't build a border wall – for all the way from Tijuana, from Southern California, from Baja, California, all the way to, to Texas. I, I get that. But there are parts of the border that could use a security barrier, whether it's a wall, whether it's a fence, whether it's some sort of aerial drone, whatever it is. We need to patch up parts of the border. I would hope you would agree. I absolutely agree, I, but I disagree with the point that we can't build a wall from one end of uh, the border to the other. That could be done. They said the same thing about the Panama Canal, I'm sure. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's what do we want to get done and why? Is it a good idea or is it just something that looks nice when you cut the ribbon and everyone feels good about their vote? Which is exactly what parts of that wall in many districts were about. It was about making people feel better. And, you know, two months later, I saw videos on Twitter of people climbing up them like like it was playground equipment you know what i mean so in terms of effective border security again a meaningful alternative has not been presented by the people who want one the most and it's going to be expensive when they come up with it so the i i had a friend who is also a former guest on this program who would always make the argument to me back in 2015 2016 that trump's rhetoric about build the wall was uh, the wall is a totem. It, it is something that people could latch onto that they could really grasp onto to understand the issue of border security. And that, you know, you, yeah, this is back when, um, you know, uh, he was, he's high functioning, but I don't know that he was a cynic at that point and maybe uh, uh, proved out by uh, history and experience to be a little too optimistic that there was going to be some kind of a pivot in the Trump administration to be like, you know, okay, we'll do some wall stuff, but this is where the real focus is. And it turned out that at least for Trump, the wall was not a totem. The wall was the wall, and it was the wall that he wanted, and the wall was going to be big, and it was going to be beautiful, and it was going to be everything that he promised it was going to be. But the problem is it still doesn't fix the one issue that I think we've, we've danced around but haven't talked about yet, the incentives problem that exists here. You know, if Reason Magazine did this really helpful infographic a number of years ago on what the process is if you are an unskilled uh uh, want to be immigrant to this country. The average amount of time that it takes is about 175 years to navigate that process. And because you have people like that who desire to come to this country and they know that there's no way they're going to get here, if they go through the line or stand, try to go through the door as they're constantly told, they're going to do things like try to come here illegally. It's just going to happen. Yes. So I, I think... Um, Certainly, this is not an issue as we're running out of time on the segment of the program that we're going to be able to solve. But um, I, I, I think 
that uh, although I we're probably closer to solving than actually Congress is. So you know, I maybe you know, a lot of headway here today, I, I, there was a lot of agreement that was going on here on the wings of this panel. So uh, maybe it would behoove Congress to uh, listen in as they always should on Sunday evenings to Beyond the Beltway because then they would actually know the the better way to try to address this incredibly important issue and they could learn from the wisdom of the kinds of fantastic guests that we have in this program like pat and josh who you will hear much more from when we are back after the break on beyond the beltway At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. Red wine vinegar and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike's sub gets its exquisite zing and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra, an exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings, the kind of exclamation you can eat. Order Jersey Mike's subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike's sub location. Jersey Mike's, be a sub above. Is that a faucet running? That's not a faucet. That's a river rushing through the forest. Forest rivers provide over 100 million people with clean water to drink. What? I can't hear you because of the vacuum. That's not a vacuum. That's the trees in the forest cleaning up the air we breathe. I didn't know the trees were so amazing. Yep, and the forest gives us shade, trees to climb. That's awesome. Let's go explore some more. Visit the forest today and enjoy all it does just for you. To learn more about the forest and find one near you, go to discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has pre-diabetes, with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has pre-diabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Matthew. Huh? Oh, sorry. It's okay. I just need you to listen to me. I know that a lot of times, Mom, it might not seem like I'm listening to you, but I am. I hear you. And what you say really does matter to me. I mean, let's be honest. No kid likes rules, but I get why we have them. I hear you, and I know it's because you care. All the talks we've had over the years, including what you've told me about not using alcohol and other drugs, they stick with me. And believe it or not, they really do make a difference, especially at times that matter most. Hey, want a drink? No thanks, I'm good. So thank you, Dad, for talking and preparing me for what's ahead. Thanks, Mom, for never giving up and always being my biggest fan. Thank you for letting me know what you expect so I can try to meet your expectations. Thank you for talking. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. 
We are back for the final segment of the program this evening on Beyond the Beltway and uh, maybe an indication of how I think this uh, next subject has been uh, the importance of it somewhat overvalued that I've saved it for the shortest segment of the program. But I don't want to let this go without bringing up the uh, serial releases of what are being called the Twitter files. Um, information from that company that has been fed to a handful of journalists, first being uh, Matt Taibbi. Barry Weiss has also reported on it. Um, Josh, I'll go to you first because I'm, uh, I, I think this is something that is not unimportant, but much like Twitter itself, the importance of these releases is being so vastly overstated and uh, how meaningful it actually is. But I would say there's... Um, one of the things that I imagine is going to drive people on the right the craziest is the set of releases about this that showed the deamplification, um, what uh, had come to be called shadow banning of certain voices, bringing ratcheting them down through the algorithm um, was going on. And what I imagine will drive the people on the right the craziest about this is that when the allegations about it were being made that this is something that was happening, they were told by largely by voices in the media that covers the tech industry that, no, this is not something that's happening and people are crazy to think that. And we're already, I'm already seeing now the voices who are going, well, yeah, of course it was going on. We already knew this. And yes, it was a good thing. And it is going to be that that is going to drive people the craziest about this story. Yeah, I, I can say that I've heard from a lot of my friends on the right who are are just consumed with this Twitter thing. I mean, they are so outraged and they are so upset about it. And um, my reaction is, well, I'm not all that surprised because when Twitter denied that they were shadow not when Twitter denied that they were shadow banning conservative voices, I knew they were lying. It didn't it didn't surprise me one bit at all because. The little time that I've spent on Twitter, I've seen that it is it's like 80% left on Twitter. And so I also think so, so that's not a big, big surprise. I also think that Twitter gets hyped up as being this really important thing when the vast majority of Americans, like some 90% of Americans never look at Twitter. Twitter is something that the beltway class that the intelligentsia that the um, so-called elites are addicted to, many of them, but in the journalistic class, but the average American isn't. I think what's ha what happened at Facebook in terms of suppressing what we already know they did with suppressing the New York Post story about Hunter Biden, and let's, let me make clear, it's not Hunter Biden that's the real issue. I'm not obsessed with Hunter Biden. They suppressed the credible claim that Joe Biden was getting a 10% cut of Hunter's business deals. 10, 10 days, 14 days, all of this was being reported by the New York Post 14 days before the last election. The only time that I've posted something on Facebook and had it taken down was when I linked to that New York Post article, by the way. And I do use Facebook a lot, and I have a very active blog there. So to me, that's the bigger story. Yeah, I think the um, uh, most of the people who make the kind of claims I think you were hitting at, Josh, about uh, you know Twitter being the new digital public square are often this, the very people who, if they lost their blue check mark, they would die of embarrassment. So I tend not <laughs> to take those arguments all that seriously. But but Pat, do you think 
do conservatives, do people on the right have a point here? Do they have something to be pretty pissed off about um, for being told for so long that, no, this is not the kind of thing that happens. And now that it's out there, it looks like it was the kind of thing that was going on. Well, you know, I know that content moderation uh, is something that happens on these platforms. But every time there was a change in the Facebook timeline or some, you know, some AI uh, or UX, I should say, design element would change and people would get all worked up and say, they can't do this. These platforms can do whatever they want within the confines of their own platform. And that is the hard truth at the end of the day. How many fans of free market economics are worked up that Twitter is allowed to do whatever it wants within its own platform? These things need to be regulated more. I think that's absolutely the case. But just as we started with how the Internet has completely changed Congress, uh, I think that, you know, the, the way that we understand that it's going to impact society has only just begun. And uh, if the average American is not addicted to Twitter, once again, I am above average. Uh, I am checking Twitter a lot. And it, I'm not a tweeter. I am not someone who is, you know, with uh, Josh's re reference to intelligentsias who are addicted to the platform uh, because it lights up a pleasure center in their brain whenever they get a like or a retweet of their content. The exchange of information is immediate. I'm basically standing next to Bob Costa as he roams the halls of Congress gathering information. He learns something big, he immediately tweets it. I know is the same time as the rest of the world. How is that not a good thing? That is fantastic in terms of exchange of information. So the question becomes, who is it regulated by? Am I happy that Elon Musk has taken over uh, Twitter? Absolutely not. Am I paying any attention to what happens? No, I am still using the platform. I am rearranging the deck chairs uh, on the Titanic, perhaps. But uh, you can have my tweets uh, or my well, Twitter, I should say, when you cry it for my cold, dead fingers. About uh, 15 seconds, Josh. Go quick. Yeah, I, I would just say to Pat that, uh, that look, um, Twitter is, is something that does provide the instant information that you you described but is that really a good thing we don't have time to well there's debate that yeah. here but there's the race to uh there's the race to be wrong as well that uh comes from all of that and but maybe pat was just stung by his recognition that and uh josh's indictment of elites and all of that that you know <laughs> as you mentioned you are a star of screen so uh you know i guess you're part of that part of that hollywood elite as well so maybe that just stung a little bit too much but You'll you can look shirt. up pat uh on twitter you can look up me on twitter as well i'm the eric Cohn that is not the movie reviewer if you are interested but a big thank you to pat and to josh for being a part of the program this evening uh thank you so much from our home base wind eric Cohn filling in for bruce dumont good evening from beyond the beltway Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. 
Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. Uh, goodbye, bench press. Adios, squat rack. Fare thee well, kettlebell. Hey, Kellen, need a spot? No, Jake from State Farm. I'm just saying goodbye to my pricey gym membership. What? Don't give up what you love. State Farm has options like insuring your home and ride with great rates on both. Nice. Hey, can I buy you a protein shake or a granola bar? Or... For surprisingly great rates, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today. To protect his home and family from disaster, Steve used courage, wisdom, and his camera phone. That should do it. Way to go, Steve! By simply taking digital pictures of his family's important documents, Steve can always have them stored safely online, no matter when disaster strikes. Learn other simple ways to protect your home and family before a natural disaster at ready.gov. That's ready.gov. A message from FEMA and the Ad Council. At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. Red wine vinegar and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike sub gets its exquisite zinc and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra, an exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings, the kind of exclamation you can eat. Order Jersey Mike subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike sub location. Jersey Mike's, be a sub above. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly. But we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org.